going on, Bridges? How are we doing? We good? Cool. Well, I get to continue on this, this series uh, that we're in, Christ in Me, and really, what does it look like for us to be a people that doesn't just reflect our own characteristics or our own self, but that we are a people that displays Jesus in our life? And uh, we're looking at the book of of 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy has a lot to guide us and direct us in this question. And today, we're really going to be looking specifically at what does it look like for us as a church, us as a community, to reflect Christ in us, right? Up to this point, we've talked kind of more individually about how do we individually reflect Jesus, and it has implications kind of as a community. But specifically, what does it look like if we were a church that encourages each other, builds each other up, and supports each other on this this task. And, um, and with that, really, what do we focus on? How do we focus on the things that have value and have worth and not be distracted by these other things that, that creep into our conversation and distract us from what is true? Now, I got a confession to make. Um, I made this first service, and uh, lots of people were mocking me between services on it. So I trust that you will not be as mocking as first service, all right? So I'm bearing my soul to you here. Uh, I have wasted hundreds of hours over the course of my life, right? I've got this bad habit where I get in bed at night, and I get my phone out, and I start researching stuff that has no value and meaning in my life. I'm not kidding. The other day, I watched a 10-minute, I watched the whole stinking thing, a 10-minute video on how to erect a crane, like how a crane builds itself. Okay, I'm not an engineer. I will never build a skyscraper. I probably will never even go up in a crane. But if you need help building a crane, I'm your guy, okay? Uh, When Google Earth came out, I wasted so many nights traveling around the world from the comfort of my bed, right? Like, I've explored every country on the planet, you know? Um, and all sorts of these. Another thing, this was really stupid. We, my wife and I, we live in a fine house, a good house. But I felt the need for several nights to research how to build a house out of a shipping container. So um, if you ever have, like, a spare shipping container and friends that need housed, come talk to me. I can, I can help you out. Now, I can, I can confess these things. I can tell you these things because in reality, I'm not really that ashamed of them, right? I mean, I've lost some sleep in life. They've, maybe I've had some tired mornings as a result of this, but it really hasn't totally affected me negatively. Although if I think about it, imagine I could have like a doctorate degree if I would have put that towards something efficient and useful. But, but the problem is that there are things that creep into the church, these distractions. And what Paul in this passage is trying to, I think, help us see is those distractions, those false teachings, those things that creep into the church are not just a nuisance. They're not just a waste of time. In fact, those can derail us from the real story that we're about as a church. That all of these minor stories, these small stories that we add to it, if we're not careful, those stories can take away from the great story, which is the story of the gospel. It is the story of Jesus, the story that begins in Genesis 1 and ends at the end of the book of Revelations, and its pinnacle is seen in the work of Jesus. And the encouragement that I see in this passage we're about to read is Paul calling Timothy, who's the kind of leader of this church in Ephesus, that, hey, focus around these things. Focus around what matters. Focus around what is true. So as we read it together, um, we can kind of begin to see this come out. And how do we live 
so that Christ is reflected, Christ is on display in us as a church. So if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to start at, um, oh, let me give you a quick background. Sorry about that. You can turn to 1 Timothy 4, uh, so you are well prepared. But give you a little background. At the first part of uh, 1 Timothy, um, there are these false teachings that have crept into the church in Ephesus. And it's, it's a problem we've had since the beginning of church, right, is that these false teachings creep in. And in this context, it's this teaching called asceticism. It's the idea that pleasure is evil, right, that, that our basic human desires are evil, so we need to not do those things, and that will make us more godly, more religious, more whatever. And we can kind of understand that, right? Like, for example, one of the things they're talking about is, is food. And we've all seen where our basic human desire to eat food, if left unchecked, can actually become a negative thing, right? We could imagine stealing food from somebody or, or kind of gluttony or, or just pride in, in the food we might have. Um, the same thing, it talks about uh, do not get married is some of the, the thing that's going around. In other words, be celibate, suppress your, your basic sex drive. And, and again, we could see where that, especially in our culture today with so many people who have come forward with the Me Too movement, how people who have allowed their sex drive to, to run wild have actually used it in a way that hurts and destroys other people. And so the argument then that people were making is, if those things are true, then if you don't do anything, if you totally shut those things down, you will be more godly. And Paul turns around and goes, okay, think about it for a second. Where are we getting that? Is that really coming from Scripture? Is that what we know to be true of God, the Creator? Or is this just stuff you guys are making up? And he goes on to say, those things are just silly, irreverent myths. So let's go ahead and read the passage now that we kind of have some graps on what the the context is of this immediate passage. So starting in verse 6. So 1 Timothy 4, 6. It says, if you put these things before the brothers or before the brothers or sisters or put these things before the church, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the eternal life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For to this end we toil and we strive, because we have our hope set on a living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one look down on you, or look no one despise you because you are of your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in faith, in love, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hand on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that, you, that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch of yourself and on the teachings. Persist in this so that by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, I, I love this, this passage. It reminds us that the thing that you are pers- to persist on, the thing you are to strive for, the thing you are to toil and strive is the great story of Jesus, our living God, the Savior of all. This is what is worth giving your life to. 
And so the first point that kind of is in your notes there is we, again, we being us as a church, as a community, as a family, we get to be shaped by the story, by the greatest story, by the story of the gospel. We get the opportunity to shape our story around the great story. And again, this is this reminder that there are all these other stories, these silly myths that can pop up. And it's interesting, Paul uses the word silly myths. It's actually this idea of old wives' tales. Maybe some of you guys have heard this verse in in another translation that would translate that, old wives' tales. It's the idea of the stories grandmothers would tell to their grandchildren, right? They're the fairy tales that get thrown around. And what he's saying is, is these things that seem so godly, that feel so good, when you actually compare them to truth, they're just spiritual junk food. They don't have real substance. They don't have real meaning. That we need to devote ourselves to those things that have worth, those things that matter, and that's the story of Jesus. It's the story of the gospel. We all, we come from, we all have different stories, right? We have different experiences. We come from different places. We come from different cultures, from different families. We have different politics. We have different worldviews. And it's easy for us to come into community with each other and try to put our story on each other, right? That this is what you should believe. This is what I believe, and this is right. And this is how you should live your life. And this is good, and that is bad. And what Paul is reminding us of here is, no, it's not about all those minor stories. It's not about those silly, irreverent myths. In fact, those things are destructive to our community life together. That what matters, the story that has worth, the story that has value, the story that we need to be talking about and being shaped by is the story of the gospel. It's the story of Jesus, our living God. And that is what we want to to focus around. Throughout the book of Timothy, there's all these cautions against false teaching and heresy. And the reason for that is not just that we want to have a church with pure and clean doctrine. It's not just so that we can have all the right answers. It's because the very glory of God, the work of the gospel is so beautiful. It is so important that we don't want to tar it with any of our own junk, right? That, that anything that takes away from the fact that God, the creator of the universe, has chosen us, has died for us, the savior of the world, that is the story that we want to tell. That is the story that is worth us wrapping our lives around. I think the challenge with these irreverent, silly myths is oftentimes they have pieces of truth in them, right? And I think for specifically this example that Paul is addressing here, there's some truth to this. I mean, the people who were teaching this were pulling back on old dietary laws from the Old Testament, and they've got these things, and they're saying it, and it sounds right, but it's, it's not the full truth. It ends up just becoming their advice, their recommendations, not the, the weight of good doctrine of, of Scripture. Let me give you an example of, of a way I think we can do this kind of in our, our day sometimes. So imagine you've got a high school kid that's now going off to college and they're going to a party school, right? They're going over here to Ohlone or one of those schools known for its raging parties. Um, and, and you're sending those kids off to school and, and you want to give them some advice. And so you say, okay, little Nady, don't get drunk. It's wrong. It's against the Bible. You could get hurt. You could get in a car. You could kill somebody. You could post embarrassing videos to Instagram. Don't do it. 
Right? That might be solid, good parenting advice. But I was thinking about that, what Scripture says about that. It says in Ephesians, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. It's about the gospel. It's about us not wasting our life away getting plowed, but instead allowing the very Spirit of God to transform our lives for those to live out in our life. In some ways, the advice is is very, very similar. But the reason, the rationale behind it is what makes all the difference. You know, we can think about that in all areas. Don't get into oppressive debt. Don't fight with your spouse. Don't look at pornography. Don't this, don't do that, don't do this. Well, if we divorce that from the story of the gospel, then those very advice that we give can become a tool that we use to judge each other, right? A a tool for legalism, a tool to look down on each other. I think the opposite actually can be true too in the positive sense. There are positive things that we pursue that if we do it divorced from the story of the gospel, don't hold weight and value in the same way. Um, we're a diverse church. Many of us are here and we've chosen to be at Bridges because we love being part of this diverse community. And uh, as leaders, we were kind of going through this visionary process recently and we were coming up with this list of values for us as a church. And one of those values was diversity, that we value diversity. And, And some feedback we heard back from people is, okay, did you put diversity on that list just because that's kind of the trendy thing right now. That's the cool thing. All the cool churches are being diverse churches or whatever. And, and I think that was a valid question, right? Is it that we want to be diverse just because that is the cool thing? Well, if that's the case, I think our diversity will only last until your culture does something that offends my culture. <laughs> and then I throw diversity out the window. No, the reason that we are called to be a diverse church is because we believe that around the throne room in heaven, every tongue, tribe, and nation will be gathered, that God is the God and the Savior of all people. And that's why we're a diverse church. And we live in a diverse area, and there are diverse people that need to hear the good news of the gospel. And so that is what compels us. That's what drives us, not the other way around. And I think these are those kind of, these sub-truths, these minor stories that can creep in and distract us from the true story, the the story that has deep meaning and value for our life. This is what drives us. I love it in verse 10. I feel like it's kind of the, the pinnacle of this passage. He tells Timothy, he says, this is why we toil. This is why we strive because we have a hope in the living God who is the savior of all people especially those who believe. Now, I understand that there's, it's kind of a confusing statement a little bit. Okay, well, God's Savior of all people are just those who believe. I'll let you fight that out in your, in your small groups, right? But the, the point is, is clear that our hope for salvation is in God and in God alone. And he is a living God. He is capable of giving salvation, and that salvation is experienced by those who believe, those who put their faith and their trust in him. And that is the hope we have. That is why all of this stuff in our life, that is why we do this. That is why we pursue godliness. That is why we, we get to pursue the God, the creator of the universe, because he is a living God, our hope. So that, that's in verse 10. And then in verse 11, um, it kind of transitioned. The passage really starts to get practical. And I think we can begin to grab, okay, What does it look like for us as individuals 
to be a part of this community that is shaped around the great story? What are some practices? What are some things that we as people can do to be a part of us as a church, even greater reflecting the love and the glory and the grace of God? And so I want us to kind of look at some of those things, right? And this is coming through the advice of Paul to Timothy. Now, uh, before we do that, though, just a, a note. This is a book written to a young pastor who's to shepherd this church. And I think sometimes we can overlook the truth that is for all of us in this because we kind of can say, okay, well, that's just stuff pastors are supposed to do. Now, as a pastor, I take this book very it's very personal to me as I seek to live out these principles in my own life. But I don't think God put this book in the Bible just for people who get a paycheck from the church. I think this is our responsibility for all of us lived out together as we live in unity. So as we look at these things, it's really for all of us together. So the first thing I noticed here is that God is calling us to be our own test case, right? To practice what we preach, to be an example of these things. I, I love that it starts out, verse 11 says, okay, Timothy, I want you to command and teach these things. And then verse 12 says, okay, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young, but instead be an example in your conduct, in your speech, in your love, in your purity, in your life, in all that you are. This is how you command and teach these things. As you, as you are speaking about them, you are also living them out. I, um, years ago, laying in bed, watching a stupid video, we've already confessed this, right? I was looking at a bike, what bike I wanted to get. And so I was watching these different reviews. And one of the, the videos I saw was the, the pro that they kind of designed this bike for. He was explaining how the bike worked and showing it. And at the end of this video, kind of as like an aside, he shows how to, um, it's, it's like a parlor trick. It's not even really a trick, but how to, like, while you're riding with your buddies, how to flick rocks with your front wheel in front of their wheels, okay? So you're riding along, and you can just kind of flick a rock in front of them. Of no real value or use in cycling at all, but it's kind of a cool trick. And I saw it. He explained how to do it, and I could never really understand how to do it. Well, last weekend, I was at this mountain bike festival down in uh, Monterey, and I just happened to get to go on a bike ride with this guy. And so we're getting done with the bike ride, and we're riding up the hill. And all of a sudden, I watch him pull up the front tire a little bit and flick a tire, a rock right under my tire, right? And I was like, I get it. I now understand how to do that. So I didn't do it in front of him because I was ashamed of my subpar mountain biking skills. But the second I got on the bike, I'm going up Mission Peak, and I'm just flicking all the rocks off the trail, right? Like, um, and it's, it's silly, it's stupid, but there's something about I had heard how to do it, I had had it explained to me, but I hadn't experienced it yet. And isn't that a beautiful picture for how we live life together as Christians? As we are walking side by side, as we are teaching and commanding these things, we are living it out in our own life. It becomes the authenticity in which we communicate. That I'm not only saying things, you are seeing me try to figure out how to live it out in my own life. And again, he, he tells Timothy, work at these things so that all may see your progress. It's not that we all have it figured out. It's not that we've got it all together, but that together we are striving to implement these things in our life. And what a beautiful picture that shows and encourages each other with. We've all seen negative examples of this, right? Where somebody doesn't practice what they preach. 
remember I was working at a, a steakhouse when I was in college, and it's in the state capital of Oregon in Salem. And so we get politicians from time to time to come through. And one time we had this guy come in, and he was just a hot mess. He was rude and food falling out of his mouth and just arrogant and talking loud. And I remember I went to the back, and I told one of the other servers, I was like, dude, check that guy out. He looks just like our, one of our senators. And we're like, no way, not that guy. Sure enough, he goes to pay, right? I see his name on the credit card. I'm like, oh, that is our senator. And, and to this day, when I hear that person's name, I think of that dude with food falling out of his mouth, right? It doesn't matter what his positions are, what his opinions are, what he's teaching. All I can see is that. But we've also seen the opposite of that when people do practice what they preach, how, how amazing that is. I'm reminded of that beautiful story in the book of Acts where Paul and Silas, they're in prison for preaching the gospel. And they're chained together in the dungeon of this prison because, you know, Christian pastors are so dangerous, we have to be locked up. Um, that, that's what I take out of that. But, uh, and, and these guys are, are chained up in the basement of this prison, and it says it's about midnight, and they're singing worship songs. They're praising God. They're saying, God, you are great. You are amazing. And all the other prisoners are listening. And, and at about midnight, there's this earthquake, and somehow the doors kind of blow open of this prison, and their shackles fall off. And the prison guard hears this and sees what's happening, and he freaks out, and he's so ashamed and so afraid of what's going to happen. He grabs his sword, and he's about to, to kill himself, to commit suicide. And Paul and Silas, they run up, and they say, no, 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 don't do it. And he looks at them and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I think about that, like, what a beautiful picture of, I'm sure he had heard rumors of some of the things they were teaching to get him, them thrown into prison. He had heard that, and then he had experienced it in their life. And that's what we get to do with each other. We get to communicate the truths of God to each other. We get to, to encourage each other with the truth of Scripture and at the same time, we get to practice it together. We get to hear each other singing those worship songs. We get to see how we struggle through hard times, how we deal with tough situations, and how we pursue godliness in the midst of that. I think an important point of this is Paul tells Timothy, he says, immerse yourself in these things. See, it's impossible for us to live these out in our lives if we're not immersing ourselves in the things of God if we are not pouring into our lives different opportunities for God to speak to us, to touch us, to encourage us. You know, naturally we can think of, this is talking about reading our Bible, some sort of devotion, some sort of regular time of studying God's word. But what are other ways we can immerse ourselves in the truth of scripture? Maybe it's a podcast on your commute to work. Maybe it's text messages you send back and forth with a friend. Maybe it's some sort of reminder that you put on your computer screen to over and over again be reminded of the great story of God, the story that matters, the story that we see in his word. Which kind of brings us to, to the next point is, okay, what, what does it look like for us as a church to display the love and the grace of Christ, to be shaped by that story? And, and I think it's so important that we shape our conversations around Scripture. Okay, what is it we're encouraging each other with? It? What is it we're talking to each other about? Paul tells Timothy in this passage, he says, okay, I want you to commit yourself to the public reading of Scriptures, to exhortation, and to teaching. 
Now, that comes from a day when they didn't have mass distribution of Bibles. There wasn't Bibles in the back of every pew. You couldn't pull it up on your phone. So literally, if you weren't hearing Scripture read to you, you weren't getting to hear it at all. So it was even more important in that day. But the principle is the same, is that we are called to, as we teach, as we give, um, it is teachings that comes from the Word of God, not just our advice for each other. That there is something beautiful and sacred about us opening God's word and saying, what is this teaching me? What are the points here? What is this trying to say? As I prepare and put together sermons, that's always my heart, is to first look at that passage and say, God, what are you teaching me? What is it, what is it that you are saying in this passage? And wanting that to be the points of the sermon, not some wise ideas that I've come up with. Isn't that a beautiful thing about our faith? That we don't need some sort of expert, some sort of wise gurus to come up here and to sit and impart our wisdom on everybody else. In fact, by the spirit of God given to each and every one of us, we all have access to the very word of God that we ourselves can go and read his word. I think that's part of the problem of what was going on in this church of Ephesus. You had these very wise, probably very educated teachers that were coming up and saying, well, here's how to really be godly. Here's what I'm doing. And if you do it like me, then you can be super godly. If you only eat those foods, if you only eat sprouted grains and drink kombucha, then you will be, then you will be godly, right? No, we get to open up God's word and say, what is this saying? So how does that look in, in all the different environments we find ourselves in? I think this is incredibly practical. Think about this as how we interact with our families. Whether, um, I know a lot of you here have adult parents, aging parents, and you are at a weird stage of life where you are now kind of parenting your parents, okay? It's easy for us all just to give advice to say, okay, mom, do this, dad, do that, but even then, is an opportunity for us to open up Scripture and to, to look together at how do we live these principles out. As a father of young daughters, I'm, I'm constantly thinking of this because my natural, what's most easy for me to do with my girls is to just give them advice, right? Well, I know what it's like to be a kid. I was a kid once, so do it this way and you'll be all right. Do it that way. I know how to do this. Instead, my, my deepest hope for my girls, what I think is most sustainable, is that my girls discover and learn how to open up God's word and actually apply it to their life, actually to see it take root in their life so that they can learn themselves. Think about how this could affect our small groups. Right here at Bridges, we believe deeply in small groups and, and being in community with each other. Do we get together in our small groups and just kind of throw out good ideas? Are we looking at Scripture? What is the Bible saying? How is this calling us to obedience? How is this calling us to obedience to, I'm sorry, to godliness? How can we train ourselves? What sort of effort can we put into this? And together as a community, building each other up, encouraging each other, but not, again, with our own ideas, with our own thoughts, but with the truth that comes from God's word. Another point that I I think is worth making here is just the intensity that I see in this passage, the, the diligence, the, the call, the, uh, the really the, the motivation that I see here in this text. This idea that, that, that keep moving because this is bigger than you. And as soon as we like published this point, 
in the notes, I thought, that's a really short-sighted way of saying this, but I can't think of a better way to say it than what God has already said in his word, that be diligent of these things, pursue these things. This is why we toil and strife, because we have a hope set in a living God. This is worth you giving your life to. This is worth us sacrificing. This is worth us as a church devoting ourselves to each other, a bunch of jacked up, screwed up people together seeking godliness in our lives with each other. I love it that Paul even reminds Timothy of an experience in Timothy's own life. He says, persist in these things. Remember, when you were starting out in ministry and the elders, they gathered around you and through prophecy, they called these gifts out in your life. Remember that? Persist in those gifts. That passion that you had when you were young and ambitious, stay true to that. It still matters. At the end of this passage is a a verse that is, is a little bit confusing, but I think it's really powerful, right? It says, um, he says, keep close watch on yourself and on the teachings. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, clearly, Paul is not saying that if we teach well, if we're persistent, we can save people. That goes completely against everything else we read in Scripture. In fact, even in this same passage, it says, it is God who brings salvation, the living God. That is our hope. That is the story. So the point I think Paul is making here is persist in these things because this stuff matters. This is about salvation. This is about people's eternity. You know, physical training, remember going back to that? Physical training has value for now, but, but godliness has value for now and for all eternity. So if you're gonna spend your life on something, make sure you're spending your life on something that has worth, something that has value. And how encouraging is that for us as a church? Right, we as a church, we get to display Christ in our lives. Even the fact that we get to pursue godliness, God, the creator of all the universe, who is perfect in every way, has commanded us to pursue godliness in our life. That's that's incredible. That is a gift in and of itself. We get to encourage each other. We get to live in community with each other. And what is at stake is salvation, both ours and the world. So persist in these things. Now, I know that up to this point, some of this stuff is a bit... um, it's a bit general, and I want to get really practical with this because I think this passage actually is, has some very practical stuff. So I want to just kind of close out with having us think of a couple of environments where we can really persist in these things. So the first is kind of just individually, right? This is about how do I, how do we um, help us be shaped around the story of the gospel? And so what are some habits? What are some things that you can implement in your own life to help you deeper immerse in the truth of God's word. And I think, like I said earlier, at, at some level, this is about reading the Bible. It's, it's not that complicated, right? It's about us sitting down and studying God's word. But how do we take that into more aspects of our life? What's some ways that we can, even as we're doing that, maybe um, really setting some goals based on what we've read for ourselves? Okay, okay, God, you've taught me this. Help me live this out today. Maybe it's, it's 
bringing those things back into other pieces of our life, whether it's through utilizing our commute time or utilizing our relationship with others uh, or little notes, little reminders in our lives to fully, to more deeply immerse ourselves in the truth of, of God. So that's kind of the first environment. Second environment, maybe thinking about people that we are most close to. So maybe if you're in kind of a, a family unit, maybe those are your family members. Maybe that's your spouse. Um, maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a parent. Okay, how do, you, how do you deeper immerse yourself in that to remind each other of the truth of Scripture? Maybe this is even just, for you, a best friend. Maybe it's a text that you send back and forth throughout the day to just remind yourself. Maybe it's a checking in at the end of the night saying, hey, here's what God has been teaching me today. What has God been teaching you? What are those environments that we can use to, to really deeper immerse ourselves in God's word? And then lastly, it's where does Christian community happen for you? Right? We come here on a Sunday, and there is a beautiful thing that happens here on a Sunday morning. We get to come together, and our voices kind of are heard in unison as we praise and worship God. We get to together open up God's word and to learn and be wrestle with those and to, to live those out. Um, and there is community that happens here for sure. But I don't know about you, but for me, like service gets over, I'm chasing my girls around as they're trying to stuff donut holes in their face, right? We're trying to figure out where we're going to lunch afterwards and what, what's going on. And, and, and there's lots of different stuff that happens. And so for deep, meaningful community to happen on a Sunday morning can be difficult. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but it can be difficult. So we really believe that life groups are one of those best environments for us to really be involved in each other's lives. But just attending a life group isn't the goal. It's not just about going and and being part of something, but are you part of a group, or if you are part of a group, how can you help your group be a group that's really focused on the truth of Scripture, right? That, That you guys together are seeking to understand what the Bible is saying to you and how to live it out, how to encourage each other in that how to walk with each other, how to see examples in each other's lives. Maybe sometimes it's just recognizing the examples of those around you and going, that's really cool. I want to I see that affect my life in that way. And I think together as we seek to immerse ourselves in this, as we seek to encourage and to talk to each other, what a beautiful picture that is, that we are not just doing this by ourselves. We don't just come here to sit and to become a better person for tomorrow or whatever that might be. But we come together to encourage each other to be built up and to display Christ in us. So let me pray for us. God, you are good. Um, You are perfect. You are great. And uh, even as we think about displaying you in our life, just reminded of how imperfect the reflection of you is through our actions, how broken we are, but just so grateful that you allow us to to tell your story, to tell the story of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. 
Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.